basically, I think Nozomi, before the zero trust term was invented, took a zero trust approach. So when you monitor a network passively, for example, you don't let anybody know that you're there. So, you know, don't trust anybody, audit everybody. Even if somebody says, hey, I'm a Rockwell PLC, we don't actually label you or introduce you into the inventory as a Rockwell PLC until we've validated that you're a Rockwell PLC by your behavior. And, and we do that for, for every member of, of the network. Same thing to attach, you know, vulnerabilities and, and so forth. So we have taken a zero trust approach from the very beginning. I think it's a useful approach. Somebody in the ecosystem, you know, in this case, an OT network should be playing that role as a, you know, proper audit mechanism to make sure that, that nothing's getting through. Hello, everyone. We are joined today for a special edition of the Defenders Advantage podcast by Edgar Capadeviello, CEO of Nozomi Networks, and myself, Marshall Hallman, the uh, CTO for Mandiant, to dig a little deeper into how organizations can take on escalating cyber risks to secure cyber physical, also known as ICS, OT, and in some cases, IoT, infrastructure. Edgar, thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm delighted to be here. Thanks, Marshall. All right. You sound like you've been doing this for a long time. First podcast? Uh, it is not my first podcast. We find this medium to be fantastic meeting for reaching out to newbies and to longtime ICS professionals. I love it. You know, we've, uh, we've known each other for quite some time. You were one of Mandiant's first ever technology partners before Mandiant even had a technology partner strategy. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, listen, I think you're right. Mandiant was the very first among all of our partners to have a fairly comprehensive RFP in the OT security space. We were not partners at the beginning, so you went out and seeked uh, input from pretty much every competitor to be fair and transparent. It was our toughest bake-off that we've ever done, almost to date, because now our customers have gotten pretty sophisticated. But but the very first sophisticated bake-off that we had against the competition was was with you guys, with Mandiant. And we thought, candidly, that maybe other players had an advantage, and we were extremely pleased to, to have uh, earned partnership with you guys, uh, which... I'm glad that it started from a technical basis and was able to, you know, get executed through through the technical merits. Yeah, and and just to be very clear for everyone listening. You know, we uh, we use uh, we use Nozomi for incident response services when we're dealing in the ICSOT space, as well as for our managed detection and response service. So, thank you very much for that. Thank you for being a long term partner. Um, and from there, you know, let, uh, let's get going. Let's, let's talk about some more uh, some more interesting trends that we're seeing. So, uh, so first, let's start with you. What are what are some interesting trends that you're seeing in the industrial and critical infrastructure space, as well as attacks? So, from a security perspective. Well, first of all, from a macro perspective, the ITOT convergence keeps advancing, keeps moving forward. The traditional silos that existed between OT and IoT are are no longer silos anymore. It used to be about, hey, what is the political relationship between IT and OT? That's not the case. A lot of the budgets and a lot of the different verticals, some verticals faster than others have already been either associated with the CISO or now in partnership with the CISO. A lot of traditional uh, IT practices are starting to be, be implemented, cybersecurity practices as well. So, so from that perspective, a lot more attention, a lot more convergence, CISO participation um, structure has come into the process. We went from you know, the, the year where we started our partnership, 2017, that was the year of you know, very, very few POCs, the year you know, 2018, we started seeing a lot of POCs in the, in the market. Most major logo customers were executing you know, very comprehensive uh, POCs, and, and now budgets are starting to be allocated. And, and uh, so from an ITOT uh, convergence, it keeps evolving. The incorporation 
of IoT devices is, as a second trend is extremely important. It continues to further expand the attack surface, the, the ongoing digitization of the enterprise, you know, digitizing and automating a lot more processes. We have a lot of trends that are playing in our, in our favor. Sounds like it. So uh, to kind of recap what you just said, you're seeing you know, a financial trend as well as a political trend and a responsibility trend all starting to fall or all starting to show convergence between IT and OT networks, which I, I think we all know is you know, long overdue. It's fantastic to see that. But how about from an infrastructure perspective? You know, are you really seeing convergence between OT and IT networks? You know, are we getting rid of that, uh, you know, that air gap network that people used to you know, think OT networks are on? Like, can you talk to me about that for a little bit? Yeah. Uh, from that perspective, listen, proper segmentation is always uh, like a best practice. So OT processes, OT networks need to be separated, treated separately. Some technology may be shared, but proper segmentation keeps them uh, separate from, from traditional IT networks. That's just hygiene that, that needs to occur. What is hurting one of the biggest detriments to proper cybersecurity is the belief that OT networks can be fully air-gapped all the time, you know, on a consistent basis. So I don't want to say that they're merging. You know, they're obviously different behaviors in different verticals. Some verticals treat their OT networks more like IT networks. I would say some like manufacturing, they do that. They have pretty flat networks. They sometimes don't even segment, you know, hardcore OT verticals like oil and gas or energy, you know, utilities need to continue and should continue for a very long time practicing proper segmentation. So on that note, then let's talk briefly about ransomware in an OT environment, right? Do you think organizations that have uh, OT systems should be concerned about ransomware? Absolutely. I think uh, ransomware has changed the world in a, in a very significant way. It used to be uh, when, when we talked IT security, primarily financials and everybody who had credentials, basically, were the only ones under attack. And if you think about evolving together, the bad guys and the good guys evolved together because they were attacking and protecting from each other all the time. Industrials were not part of that cycle, right? Because industrials didn't have anything that mattered. You don't have money. You don't have any valuables. You don't have credentials. And ransomware all of a sudden changed the game. Ransomware says your uptime is monetizable. And now folks that have not evolved their cybersecurity protections are being attacked by some of the most sophisticated people on the planet because ransomware leveled the playing field. That, that, that's an awesome answer. I couldn't have said any better. I love that. So, how about from a like the attacks perspective you're seeing against critical infrastructure? How, how you know how has that evolved? How are you seeing attackers do things differently today than maybe you saw back when we first started working together in 2017? Yeah, back when we were working together in 2017, it was really hard to name proper OT cyber attacks. Everybody, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, always goes back to to Stuxnet and maybe Triton, which were new at that time. I was actually our first research collaboration on on Triton. Congratulations, you guys had a fantastic insights into, into that. But today is, is very different, right? Today we have, you know, very sophisticated toolkits out there in the Industrial Toolkit, the work that we've done recently. Um, analyzing that Industrial Version 2 toolkit is folks have a lot more tools available, a lot more skills. And again, now it's very clear to the world that, you know, uptime is monetizable, but also we live in a time where, you know, ideology is is geopolitical situation in Europe today brings that ideology component back alive into the equation of, you know, attacking critical infrastructure. Absolutely. So you think it's fair to say that, let's say back when we first started working together, we were seeing some governments or some organizations put some time and effort into building out some specific tools. Now we're seeing more of a proliferation of OT specific malware. You know, we're seeing like, you look at InController, it's a suite of tools targeting a specific type of technology. You've got, as you said, Indestroyer, the Indestroyer V2. They're obviously leveraging and evolving their code base. You know, do, do you think this is a problem that's going to get worse before it gets better for us? 
it's gonna, absolutely going to get worse. And it's going to be a while before it gets better. One of the issues that happens, again, if you I would go back to my previous point, when you look at financials, financials spend, you know, around 7 to 10% of the revenue into IT. And then when you look at that, that IT budget, cybersecurity is a significant relevant component of that spend. Uh, when you move out of financials into industrials, specifically utilities or energy companies, they spend less than 4% of their budget of based on revenues, less than 4% of revenues on their IT budget. And the percentage of cybersecurity of that budget is super low. So again, they have not been part of the cat and mouse game of, of you know, attackers and, and defenders evolving together. Budget size is part of that or an indicator of that evolution. So in the case of protecting industrial infrastructure, critical infrastructure, it's going to be a while before the inertia of uh, increasing IT cybersecurity budgets or OT cybersecurity budgets for that matter is going to catch up. And that's a scary thought. I mean, you said if, if they're spending less than 4% of their entire IT budget on IT and OT and we're seeing the convergence between the two, then now what used to be a separate IT and OT budget is combined. They're still not spending very much money on it. So that's right. kind of a scary thought. Now, again, going back to some of the uh, the more interesting malware that we've uh, we've seen recently, do you think that this is a game, let's say, um, where we could start seeing some non-state sponsored actors really start to put you know put together malware that targets ICS OT devices, like in a real meaningful way? Because obviously, obviously, you know, in Destroyer, in Controller, Triton, Soxnet, we've mentioned. Those are state-sponsored pieces of malware, and there's a lot of time and effort and R&D put into them. So do you believe it has to be state-sponsored, or is this something we could see, like, let's say maybe you know, a ransomware group or a professional cyber criminal group get into? What I think is, like, listen, a lot of these nation states want to evade attribution, and the main bad actor, if you will, has outsourced a lot of the attacks to, to gangs out there. And, and you create an ecosystem, a ransomware ecosystem, ransomware as a service, that can be at your command when you need it. But then when you're not using it, now it's a for-profit organization that needs to make money and needs to feed, you know, feed their kids. So now they're up for grabs for whoever wants to, to execute you know, some malicious attack somewhere. So yeah, unfortunately, the nation state initiatives start a little bit of a flywheel, creating an environment where now anybody can rent some of these services. Mm -hmm. Now, again, it's an absolutely great answer. I'm gonna put our executive hat on for a minute. And I ask you, like, when you talk about how you minimize risk in an OT environment, especially in a converged IT and OT environment, talk to me a little bit about how you see that. How would you talk to a CISO organization and how they can minimize their risk in an OT environment? Yeah, listen, I think risk uh, mitigation or risk management in, in OT really, really starts with visibility. If you don't know what you have, you can't really start the journey of uh, risk management. Risk management ultimately is, you know, what is the highest impact thing that I can do today? To reduce the risk at a minimal cost you know t unlike in it you have the cost of of you know patching something for example if it requires downtime you know that's a huge cost if there's a second thing that you could do that it could potentially address a bunch of vulnerabilities but this one does not cost downtime then that would be better so the 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 equation or the formula to prioritize vulnerability addressing <coughs> risk which is the definition of risk management a ot folks are starting to do it for the first time mm -hmm. because they've never had the visibility, they've never had the proper asset list, they never had the vulnerabilities associated with the, those assets, much less rank and associated with the cost of addressing that vulnerability. A, they're starting to do it. They're being able to do it for the first time. And, and B, they're starting to, of course, incorporate cost of addressing some of those uh, risks when it comes to maintaining uptime. So, so outside of the, um, the operational resiliency, let's use the term uh, that you were just talking about, 
uh, when an organization is looking at how they secure their OT environment, is that different from how they'd approach securing their IT environment? And if so, like why? Why is it? Why is it? A, why is it a different piece? A different thing to secure? Yeah, well, that that answer has a couple of angles. Uh, the technology angle is well, the technology has to be completely different, right? IT and OT required very very different technologies. You know, when you guys ran your process in 2017, of course, you only invited OT vendors. Why? Well, because everybody knows that a lot of IT solutions do not work in OT. You know, most of our customers are very sophisticated cybersecurity buyers, so very sophisticated cybersecurity evaluators and implementers, and they find that you know they're you know overinvested socks and all the tools and solutions that they have to address IT security does not work in OT. OT has to be you know start passive, really has to uh, work across many protocols, start really focus on the behavior of the physical process versus the end user, which is that like the stance changed from IT to OT. And then, of course, what's different, maybe less technically and more on the human side is, you know, in the IT side, I've heard a CISO, for example, say, on the IT side, I can press one button on Monday to change endpoint security from vendor A to vendor B. And by Friday, all endpoint security has been changed from vendor A to vendor B. In OT, if I make a decision to go from vendor A to vendor B, now I have to initiate a negotiation with my 600 plants to see when they're going to get on board. Right? So the the organizational human side of OT security is radically different. And, and to your point, you know, we like uh, I would argue in the IT world, things move so quickly today, it's hard to wrap your mind around the fact that you would have to talk to 600 different plants, convince them all to make this change, right? And of course, you know, as we all know, when you go through a change like this, you're going to convince half of them. And then a year later, maybe you have to convince the other half. And so you're, right. you know, you're talking on three and five year horizons rather than you know, a one week horizon. That's it's right. just, it, it's really hard for us nowadays to wrap our minds around that. So how does, uh, how does AI powered network visibility and, and monitoring and actionable intelligence play into uh, like how you would secure an OT environment and how you uh, remediate threats in an OT environment? Oh yeah, absolutely. We apply artificial intelligence, machine learning techniques throughout the solution. Identifying assets, for example, requires uh, significant profiling and the profiling from a passive perspective requires a lot of heuristics that, that are not simple. But the most important part, as I mentioned earlier, was the change of stance from IT to OT. In the, the cybersecurity stance in IT is all about the endpoint. Like, I want to know the reputation of the endpoint, the IP. I want to know the behavior. Everything is about the endpoint and potentially who's behind the endpoint. In OT, you could watch an endpoint all day and you're not going to learn anything. Maybe a, a valve that it's, you know, has a PLC in front of it and the valve opens and closes. You can watch that all day and you're not going to learn anything. Right, you, there's nothing to be learned, nothing to be observed. You have to step back and learn what's happening from a process perspective, which you don't have to do in OT. So learning the process is unique to OT, and not not learning the process from a chemistry perspective or from a physics perspective, but from a network perspective. So it's like, for example, if your self-driving car takes you from A to B without crashing, that's fantastic. But your self-driving car does not understand what a kid is or what a curb is from a human understanding, right? It has a network understanding or a sensory understanding. Well, very similarly, from a network point of view, we need to understand the process, what a critical state is in that process, and how does an anomaly affect that critical state? Okay, that's great. So you're looking, you're looking for anomalies in the critical state. But if you look at damages that can be done to an environment, right? I think in the OT world, the damage or an impact from a breach, right, is very different from the impact in an IT breach. Talk to me about what your biggest fears are in the OT space. Like, what are some massively impactful things that could occur when you're talking about a valve versus an endpoint? So maybe that answer has a couple of angles. Um, one, that importance is seen, you know, in the carefulness in which operators select our technology. Right? I could walk into an office with a firewall, you know, 
in my arms, ask for permission to get to the back closet. And if I change some cables to install the new firewall, maybe your email is going to be 10 minutes late. Maybe you have to resend a print job. Maybe your browser session had to be restarted. No big deal. Um, when it comes to anything that has to do with affecting the production network of an OT environment, you know, if you don't do it in a planned, careful way, potentially millions of dollars would not be produced today or, or manufactured today or generated today because of that. And that's the one of the primary reasons why traditional IT practices, IT services, and IT vendors are not so welcomed um, in OT. So again, that's in the from the perspective of approaching, you know, the different groups from a technology vendor. Your question was more around impact. I do believe that impact in OT could be uh, pretty bad. We haven't had a true, you know, horrendous episode. I think Colonial Pipeline, even though it didn't ever, never, theoretically never got to the OT networks, had a pretty good representation of what could have happened. And the fact that the knee-jerk reaction to shut down, you know, the OT side because it could have gotten there, it could have caused major damage to the pipelines, to to the product being transferred and, and so forth. And, and, you know, fire explosions, who knows what could have happened. And, and those wise folks decided to, to stop it on the IT side and, and, and seize operations so that it would not have OT impact. You know, I always say IT deals with bits and bytes or electrons. OT deals with atoms and matter and you know, the impact of, of atoms and matter getting out of control could be just more, a lot more dramatic. Absolutely. And thankfully, we haven't seen that catalyst event here in the U.S. I mean, we have seen some examples of where power has knocked out the cities and uh, other, other governments. So we do see, the, do see the, um, what the impact could possibly be, and hopefully we don't ever see it get any worse than that. But I would argue, too, that building a tool that targets a power plant or targets um, a gas pipeline or something like that, is very different than building a tool that compromises a Windows endpoint, right? Or compromises an application. There's a lot of specialized research that has to go into that. There's a lot of specialized um, technology and hardware that you have to have. So, you know, from your perspective, how hard is it to actually go through the entire research and development lifecycle to be able to build one of these types of tools versus a zero-day exploit on a Windows machine, for example? Yeah, yeah. I think it's the difference between, you know, one is a more of a shotgun approach where, you know, you unfortunately are going to impact a lot of people. Ransomware, for example. Um, and then the other one requires, you know, it's more of a rifle shot approach where, where you know, you need to, A, follow the attack most likely with the command and control network. You, the lateral movement is probably has humans involved. Um, every plant in the world is a snowflake, right? Every plant is different. It doesn't matter if one plant is supposed to be a carbon copy of another plant or one substation is going to be supposed to be a carbon copy of another substation. It isn't. There's going to be a difference. So, so that difference tends to have some human maneuvering around it even though the toolkits uh, have dramatically accelerated the instrumentation that, that some of these folks have to do what they want to do. Yeah. So you don't think anytime soon we'll see a Metasploit or a Cobalt Strike or one of these other frameworks that makes uh, exploitation really I think easy those are for available. the OT environment? I think those are available. The toolkits are definitely available. But I think, uh, yeah, I do think that, that the OT environment is so different that for, for, true, for truly causing... You can have a lot of... I guess uh, for... Um, lack of an analogy, a self-guided missile, which I think was, was kind of what Triton was. I was, was trying to aiming look to look for something very, very specific and then, you know, affect safety. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I guess you could. I'm going to switch, switch gears again and uh, ask you about zero trust. So zero trust or zero TNA, as we like to say in the industry, right, is, uh, is all the rage. It's something lots of organizations are trying to figure out how to implement and implement properly. 
do you see Zero Trust playing a role in how we secure modern day OT and ICS systems? Yeah, absolutely. I think Nozomi, before the Zero Trust term was invented, took a Zero Trust approach. So when you monitor a network passively, for example, you don't let anybody know that you're there. So, you know, don't trust anybody, audit everybody. Even if somebody says, hey, I'm a Rockwell PLC, we don't actually label you or introduce you into the inventory as a Rockwell PLC until we've validated that you're a Rockwell PLC by your behavior. And, and we do that for, for every member of the network. Same thing to attach, you know, vulnerabilities and, and so forth. So we have taken a zero trust approach from the very beginning. I think it's a useful approach. Somebody in the ecosystem, you know, in this case, an OT network should be playing that role as a, you know, proper audit mechanism, make sure that, that nothing's getting through. And so, you know, to that point, do you have to do research on your own and for your own products for every single different type of ICS and OT system out there from each of the different manufacturers? Is it like, do you have to put in that amount of research? Are you able to abstract that away and say you generally understand certain protocols and therefore the protocol implementation should be the same by vendor? We do abstract that way. The abstraction layer we refer to as protocol parsers. Protocol parsers can be built at different layers. So when we start with a brand new protocol, for example, we just understand, you know, let's call it a dialect. Um, you know, what's this protocol trying to do or trying to say or, or trying to operate? But then over time, we go down to functional codes and we tr have true parsing of the protocol. But again, to your point, I think this is an abstraction layer. So a lot of the things that we do from an engine perspective, from our capabilities perspective, detection or, or inventory or otherwise, leverage a set of protocol parsers. So building protocol parsers for the hundreds of protocols that are in our industry is absolutely table stakes. Not necessarily having a ton of protocols parsed, but being able to very quickly in, in an agile way, build a new full protocol parser. So again, as you're parsing these protocols and you're understanding the commands that are being issued, how do you understand if something's being issued, if a malicious command is being executed, right? But at the end of the day, a command that's being executed is the command that could be executed, right? It just comes down to context whether it's being executed maliciously or not. How do you go about you know, understanding the difference and saying this action is malicious versus this action being mm -hmm. non-malicious? Well, at the very beginning, you don't know if it's malicious. You, at the very beginning, you only know that it's anomalous. Mm -hmm. And then what Nozomi has and one of the advantages, one, one of the differentiations is that Nozomi is the only uh, vendor in our space that truly correlates signature-based uh, anomaly detection with behavior-based anomaly detection. So it may be only one. If it's signature-based, it's actually super easy. It's actually pretty similar to the world of IT. If it's behavior-based, it's very unique to the world of OT. And when you correlate both, then you get kind of the best of both worlds. Um, most of the time, you, you end up correlating multiple signals from the process side. And sometimes that includes signals from you know signatures and threat intelligence. And I have to say that approach sounds eerily familiar to what we've been doing in the IT world for, uh, for quite a while as well. So um, are there any, uh, any best practices that you'd like to share with our audience and how they can go about thinking about protecting their IC and OT environments against the you know, today's emerging threats, what we're seeing today, the stuff that really scares us and use um, in particular today? Yeah, I think uh, so. So I think as, as OT networks go into maybe shared governance or, or you know, purview between OT and OT, some of the basic hygiene practices like proper segmentation, you know, visibility around assets, multi-factor authentication, a lot of things that are just very, very common. Cybersecurity and visibility were not big for the kind of original owners of those OT networks. And and as those as convergence continues to evolve and as these industrial control networks are more exposed to the outside world, either through digitization or people just wanting to do more with the data, 
um, a lot of the uh, IT best practices around segmentation become a lot more useful. And that goes towards you know, what you were talking about earlier, that really that conversions between IT and OT, we're seeing what worked in one. We're trying to leverage leverage in the other space. We're seeing it work there as well. Um, I love seeing that. So, um, Edgar, do you have any closing thoughts for us? Are there, are there questions I haven't asked that I should have? In terms of questions that you haven't asked, no. I just want to say that the partnership with Mandian has been really, really awesome, really, really good. One of our first partnerships, long-standing partnerships, and um, our best days are ahead of us. And we agree completely. Edgar, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, with that, thank you, Marshall. Thank you.